Hi, you're listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life with me, your host, Mimi Novik. I'm so happy and thrilled to have you here with me. I have created this series for all of us so we can change our world together and live a more holistic and balanced life. Together, we will share lots of inspiring stories from all walks of life, speak with leading experts, enjoy healthy living ideas, explore music and subjects that inspire each other to always have hope. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all of you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Secrets for an Inspirational Life. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that you are all well and feeling a little bit joyful, hopefully a lot joyful, but you know, the world is in a rather strange place at the moment, but that is something really that we should celebrate even though there are tough times and life is like that you know there are tough times there are testing times but we should still celebrate the fact that we are still alive and really get back to the natural being that we are we sometimes forget and it's so easy to do that that we are actually made of earth And yet our soul is something that is divine and heavenly. And it's always the case that our soul is on a journey and our body is actually facilitating that. It's a vessel for us to be on this earth. And it's a huge privilege, really, that we are here all together at the same time, sharing this moment with each other. And nature has a magical and mystical way of grounding us, of making us see and feel and experience what is important. So it's really important, I always say this for myself, to have that grounding. It's good to fly amongst the celestial realms, but while we are on earth, we need to do the earthly things. And for that, we need to look after ourselves, our being on multi-dimensional levels. So I am extremely grateful today and absolutely delighted and honoured to welcome my guest. And she is the wonderful Caroline Gaskin. Now, Caroline is one of the UK's leading homeopaths, a subject really, really close to my heart. She is a health writer and wellness coach And she provides natural medicine solutions for many conditions, such as women's health, weight loss, immune support, to name a few. Caroline has worked as a homeopath and a flower essence prescriber for over 20 years in her London-based practice and has more recently added online consultations for clients worldwide. She's also a hormonal health expert and draws on many years of experience of working in PR, 
for complementary health, holistic parenting, organic lifestyle, and natural health. She has such a large range of clients, you know, from all over the world, from all walks of life, and has a clinic at the Tri Yoga in Camden in London, and also at the well-known Ainsworth's Homeopathic Pharmacy, which is also in London, who hold the royal warrants of appointment to Her Majesty the Queen and His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales. Caroline also teaches at the UK's leading homeopathy colleges and supervises students and practitioners. Wow. If that wasn't enough, there's so much more. Just wait and, you know, hear about all the things that she does. She is working on her book and it's going to be published early next year, which is called Bird is the Word. Today, she shares her absolutely really divine wisdom, I have to say, and expertise and her beautiful journey. Welcome, Caroline. Thank you so much, Mimi. That's just really lovely introduction. And hello, everybody. Uh, Nice to be here. (laughs) Oh, it's so lovely, Caroline, to have you here. I'm really, really honoured for you to be here. And I have to say to the listeners, Caroline, it's really a fountain of wisdom of so many different things in life on so many different levels. You will see and you will, well, you will hear all the stories that she has to say. So Caroline, tell us a little bit about what you do in your own words and how it all started. We'll, we'll go back to the beginning. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, what I do uh, is, is I'm a homeopath, as I said, and, and when I think about when I very first had homeopathy, I was, I was in my early 20s. But prior to that, I'd, I'd always been interested in health. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean I've always been super healthy. Um, but as a child, I remember the kind of things that I would read. Do you remember Reader's Digest? Yes, 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 yes well, I remember. I think my family used to get the Reader's Digest. And so I would read these stories that would absolutely fascinate me. And I remember reading a story about a girl who, who didn't suffer pain. And she would put um, her hand on, she put her hand on the cooker or something and didn't realize that her hand was, she was burning. And, um, and it just that kind of it fascinated and probably horrified me at the same time. But I, I grew a fascination. I remember when I was about 18, reading something and saying to my mum, sugar's so bad for us. And I, she was quite addicted to sugar. And it mm. took a long time for me to to wean myself off my level of addiction to sugar. But um, it it this this story fascinated me and I said, well, sugar's, sugar's so bad for us. I said something like white sugar's really poison. You know, my mum was horrified and said, you know, whatever she said. And I, and I, so I had this kind of um, connection to health issues, even though that wasn't my calling at the time, I was an artist. And I went to see a homeopath on a friend's, um, friend, friend recommended it. And I don't know why she recommended it to me. She'd been and she'd had this great experience. And I went and an homeopath gave me a remedy and I got a rash. <laughs> oh. This was in the 1980s and I was working in a bar in town at the time. It was called the Intrepid Fox. And I had this rash on my hand. It was on my right hand and I was pulling pints with my right hand. I'm right-handed. And, um, and this guy said to me, you know, what's that on your hand? And I said, well, I, I don't know. You know, it's 
it's a rash. And he said, do you think it's AIDS? This was when AIDS was really big. And he said, yeah. it's AIDS. And I just remember saying, I don't know, really. You know, it was so <laughs> casual. <laughs> and, um, and I was thinking about this with young people with, with lockdown, you know, recently and, and COVID and the response, you know, and I was reminded of our response to AIDS at the time and how sort of curious and non-awake we were about what was really going on you know there's lots of stories I could tell about that time but I just remember this and it took the homeopath two or three attempts at least to to try to clear this rash that had come up as a result of the remedy and it's the sort of thing that I I, I just feel mortified if that happens to a client um and I and I I work in a slightly different way now and probably we all do but uh, we work in a much more practical way maybe than that without getting into how homeopathy works. Um, but I then got pregnant with my son. And those of you that are into astrology will, will know that around the age of 28 is what we call our Saturn return. When Saturn, the planet, returns into um, our lives at the same position that it would have been at its birth, and at your birth. And and at that point, around the years of sort of 27 to 29, we often change course and we often change course into something that is very much more connected to us. It's less about what our parents said we should be doing or what we said to ourselves we should be doing as an adult. And we move into something which is much more uh, from the heart. And so, you know, I moved into having children. That was very big. That's all there in my charts. And, mm -hmm. and I moved into natural health. And it's really through my son. So my own story wasn't so successful initially. And it was actually Himalayan salts that cleared the eczema. Um, in oh, really? Yeah. I bathed my hand in Himalayan salts. And it would take me probably 20 minutes to get my hand into the salts. It was that sore. It was that bad rash. Um, well, that's yeah. interesting because I've had a lot of people, um, mm. we've had a lot of people discussing, was it eczema that you had? Yeah. Or it, it, yeah, it was a, I'd had a dermatitis from chemicals. I was a printer. I was a textile mm -hmm. designer and I'd had this dermatitis on my, on my right hand. And I used to wear all these big bangles up my arm, you know, like Cedabara, is it? Um, so um, had all these bangles and I would wash the screens down with this terrible stuff called CeraWash and we didn't have proper hand cleaners you know none of that was available mm. when we did dyeing in the textiles lab they would they would sort of point at this um washing up bowl in the corner of the room with with uh, rubber gloves in it and the rubber gloves would be all stuck together from the dye and they said well you can use rubber gloves if you want <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was health and safety yes in, in the early 80s you know yeah oh. So, oh my so it came from, it's, it's, a, it's a suppressed dermatitis. I put the, you know, the ubiquitous steroid cream on it and it disappeared like magic. And then I went to see a homeopath and it all burst out, basically. Right. Now I'm going to interrupt you. So sorry Please. to interrupt you, but I have to interrupt you. And I'll tell you why, what's just come to me. Just in a small paragraph, Caroline, because mm. I know that some people still um, are unsure what is homeopathy? Mm. A little explanation so that at least they have a little bit of idea for people out there, listeners who are still, a lot of people have heard of it and it's mm. getting more popular, but a lot of people don't understand it. Yeah, understanding it's another matter. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, 
But uh, yeah, essentially, it's it's a natural medicine, and we use a very diluted substance. And that diluted substance um, is it can be from many sources, so plants, minerals. Um, we may use some substances that you wouldn't use in their crude form uh, to make remedies from. And um, there's some quite remedies that are quite esoteric as well. Um, we might use crystals. There's all sorts of things that we can make remedy or we do make remedies from. We have many thousands of remedies in our pharmacy. Mm. And um, we, this, these substances are diluted many, many times. And what, what happens is that the, the water that they're diluted in holds the memory of the substance. And when that's introduced into the system, the, the, the system, we call it the, you know, a, a, it's like a life force, a dynamic force. Um, it, it knows, you know, we're always working towards health. We always want to achieve optimum health. We always want to be, we're always moving towards, you know, survivalists, we're always moving towards an optimum health place. And so when the body encounters something, which is, is it's, it's like a trigger to the system. The system says, I, I know how to heal this. I can mm-hmm. heal my cut. You know, I can, I can, I can heal my system. So, so it's like homeopathic remedies are like a piece of information and, and, and it's an aha moment for the body saying, uh, I know how to do this. I know how to heal. So it's like a, it's like a tiny stimulus and mm-hmm. with a big impact. And it's, it is hard to dis- describe, you know, there are principles we can look at scientifically, there's quantum physics, mm-hmm. uh, we could, but basically the more we dilute a substance, the more, the deeper its impact in the system. So we might go to very high dilution of that substance when it comes to mental, emotional issues and a, a, a lesser dilution when it comes to physical issues as, as a, as a kind of rule of thumb, really. Mm-hmm. Um, now you so give us an example for example the eczema and you were talking about hmm. um because i know so many people suffer so many yes. people and um you were saying that it was okay with the cortisone cream it disappeared but then yes. the homeopath gave you something and it flared up so just to mm-hmm. explain that point um because it was suppressed so that people yes. understand why did then that come out Exactly. So, so when we suppress something, and many, many contemporary medicines do suppress that initial symptom, and we find that, that the issue gets driven further in. So we manifest stuff on the skin to tell us that something's wrong. And when we use a steroid cream, it drives, it drives it away from the skin and back further into the system. So it might look okay but really the system then can become more compromised. So and we know many, many drugs have these effects. We call them side effects, unwanted mm. effects of the drug. But uh, what happens with homeopathy and other natural medicines and energy medicines is that we then, we then unsuppress. And with the skin, if someone has a remedy and they manifest something on the skin, it shows me that the system is not eliminating efficiently. So I can honestly say back then my system didn't eliminate efficiently. And we eliminate at four points through the breath, through the sweat, through the pee and through the poo. So, you know, my criticism of some colleges might be that in places we study at is that we only ever talk about the poo. You know, we only ever talk about the diet. Mm. 
but actually the breath, for instance, is so important. So for many people with skin conditions in Chinese medicine, you'd say that the skin is the third lung, that skin is related to the lung. So we start to put remedies in, so we start to put conditions and remedies actually, but conditions into groups. So we see skin conditions, hay fever, asthma, eczema, running in families same kind of conditions run in the family. So we get into a conversation about epigenetics. And when I teach about these families of conditions that we have, I liken a bit to um, the houses in Harry Potter. So they have different characteristics, you know, so Hufflepuff is very different from Gryffindor, is very different from Ravensclaw to Slytherin. And these, these ports of call that we have, the points of reference, you know, when you suppress the system it mm. will only do it will only go to what it knows what does it know it knows its family history it knows its inheritance we it's epigenetic genetics we call it now i don't even know if the term epigenetics was being banded around when i studied 20 years ago but we learned about miasms we call them in homeopathy and we've learned about these groups of of um, conditions mm. as part of our training for hundreds of years you know so so we've talked about this concept of we are what we come from um, to a certain extent you know because when you start to add in a uh, good nutrition diet and lifestyle you can change what what you're born with you know so you can strengthen a weak constitution um, you can break a strong constitution and rebuild it again given the right materials a bit like a house mm-hmm. so what's a miasm I've heard that. Before. Yes, miasm, interesting word. So it's like, it's like, um, miasm is like our, our family history, our inheritance. So some of us will come from families where, you know, the lungs, skin are the main conditions that we suffer from. You know, when I take a case, I ask what, what's in the family history. Mm-hmm. It might be somebody else comes from a family of inflammation and heart conditions. It might be that someone else comes from a family where things like bones and teeth and the blood uh, degenerate and weaken, you know, but these fall into different, into a different type of miasm, we call it. So it's our inheritance, um, the imprint, if you like, from our ancestry. Ah, okay. (laughs) Yes, yes. I I often wondered, I've seen it written Ah, so much in homeopathy that I didn't understand actually what it meant um but yes so we have a lot of different things that we have inherited from Mm -hmm. our ancestors in fact through time and i suppose it's something that you know i hear a lot about um people trying to heal their future by really they are carrying so many burdens from Mm -hmm. ancestral things and you can change the whole pattern of a family's sort of I suppose destiny in a way by just one person standing up and getting healed do you believe in that Caroline? I do it it sort of falls into the family constellation conversation and Mm -hmm. it falls uh, that's what came up at the end there but also um, I think often I can think of many healers uh, many light workers who say who, who are cog- conscious of the fact that they're, they're the one in the family that's doing that and that not 
than other people in the family aren't, you know, that they are, and people say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm the black sheep of the family. Um, and, um, and, you know, we can talk about Chiron, we can talk about the wounded healer, you know, there's lots that we can talk about in that context, but then there is also the, you know, when it comes to inheritance, I wouldn't say you're, you're making, you because there's the beneficial sides of those things as well. It's not like mm-hmm. I'm going to cure someone of, of um, their miasm and they're suddenly going to be a different type of, uh, different mm. type of uh, family inheritance, you know, history going on. It's not that we're looking, we're just working towards optimum health. So we, so I love also to talk about the, the, the positive attributes of, um, of a miasm or of a situation. So, um, so what's the, what comes out of uh, the family history of eczema, asthma, uh, skin conditions tends to be the creatives. They tend, they're very, very akin to the air signs, you know, so there's air qualities about mm. that. So they, they, there are a lot of creatives. And I think that that state comes from, we call it a tubercular miasm. It comes from a time when we took people, and this brings us right back to you, what you, you know, how you intro to this nature, a time mm. when we took people out of the fields and into the factories and we starved people at a young age of light, um, of adequate food, of fresh air. And we created this state of inadequate lung capacity, you know, and then, and then we fell into tuberculosis. You know, we fell into young people dying, you know, in their hundreds because, because they were being starved literally working in the factories of, of, you know, all around kind of Bradford and Leeds. You go up to the cemetery at Haworth, where the Brontes lived. Mm. And it's full, you know, we know this is full of people um, who died in, in their, you know, years children, in their teens, in their early adulthood of tuberculosis. I think, I can't remember what the percentage was of the village, but it was huge, wasn't it? It was a huge, I suppose, pandemic in effect. Absolutely. A, a little bit. I, I think about that, the tuberculosis. You know, when I started to think about it is when this whole um, virus mm. story began here. And I wondered, because it affects the lungs. Yeah. So I wondered what sort of similarities really there were. Is it because, I mean, you know, it is, who knows, you know, really, there's so many levels to it. But one of the things is to do with the breath mm-hmm. and the breath is actually the force of life and I was talking actually to Dr Voice Mm -hmm. who I had on uh, one of the uh, episodes and he was talking about the importance of breath and how breath is actually the answer to everything (laughs) so it was interesting and then I talked to him also uh, prior to the podcast and before you know we've chatted and we were talking about the masks and things like that mm-hmm. and the fact that there is no breath and that's a scary thing somehow there's mm-hmm. uh, there's many levels to it isn't there? there there really are and i think um you know when i was talking about detox you know it, it's said that 70 percent of our capacity to de- detox can be through the breath you know, and I can meet clients who are in their 70s who've never really learned to breathe efficiently. 
during lockdown, I've been doing Pilates with this. Um, she's a client of mine. And this, I mean, there's so many great things that are coming out of this strange situation we're in. I have never regularly gone to a Pilates class. I like Pilates, but I haven't quite found a teacher. And one of my mm. clients uh, lives down in Surrey, which is miles away from me. And she's doing classes online. She's called Adrian Bentley. And her class is absolutely fantastic because she talks about the breath. She comes back to the breath. She starts with the breath. And it's totally resonant for me. And, you know, this need um, for us to breathe fully, efficiently, you know, it calms us that the, the lungs anchor in at the bottom. They anchor into, you know, ri- literally that tissue in the bottom of the lungs anchors into our kidneys and our adrenals. And I always say, so it's so kidneys um, filter all our water. They filter minerals for us in and out. Um, they, they cycle through, you know, gallons and gallons of water every day of liquid in the body. And, um, and they do a phenomenal task. And on top of the kidneys sit the adrenal glands and adrenals look after our stress. So, so they, or they, they, are at, they are part of our, our stress response. And so if you imagine the lungs, you know, anchoring into the top of the adrenals, and, and the kidneys and that tissue in that area of the body at the back of your waist. And if you're under stress and your breath is short and you're panting and you're, the breath is all in the top of the lungs, then it's going to ultimately, the action is all in the top and it's not breathing into the, the tummy. You're not breathing into the lower body. You're not massaging all those organs in your lower body. Then all sorts of things happen. So, you know, constipation, for instance, could be due to improper breathing because the breath is all high up in the body from a shock or a trauma. We've got stuck in that state mm-hmm. and the lower body, it's, 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 it's not attached to the breathing. So it, it goes into stasis or, and, or um, the lungs, you know, can be pulling on those adrenal glands and stressing that whole system. So, so it's like we go into shortness of breath, we tug on the adrenals, the adrenals pump out the corticosteroids that help us deal with the aggressor, you know, so we've got this flight, fright, flight situation uh, going on for us, the, the lungs <laughs> pull on the adrenals, get into action, pump out some steroids, deal with it. But what we, get, mm. we do is we get stuck in that state of stress and we, we forget to come back and pull away from the stressor. Um, and we forget to breathe fully and efficiently. And, uh, and, and if we're stuck in a post-traumatic stress state, you can guarantee that the breath is out of kilter. And, you know, so, so any class, any practice, you know, and it, does, it could be meditation, it could be pranayama, it could be Pilates, it could just be a walk in the park with your shoes off, is going to ground us back into safety and security. And that sort of brings me to... Um, bird watching that we were talking about and yes and just that that for me became a touchstone for stress in my early 50s I think late 40s early 50s when I was going through a time of uncertainty I was going through a time of hormonal change it was beginning to be menopause I was in a slightly uncertain relationship and I found grounding in the natural world through bird watching which I'd always found in the yoga studio before you know I'd always found in a meditation class and suddenly it wasn't working for me anymore. You know, the stress and surges of anxiety, which were due to all sorts of things, but hormones, you know, a lot of women at menopause suffer surges of, of anxiety and that's hormonal imbalance. So, um, 
you know, so it's finding that thing that grounds you, that you can return to you again and again in this stress state, you know, but if the lungs aren't fully functioning, another time when this happens, which is mm-hmm. quite interesting, is when kids grow. When kids grow taller and they suddenly do a growth spurt, the skeletal tissue grows fast and the connective tissue, the lungs and, you know, all our connective tissue takes a little while to catch up. And so kids often get a cough when they grow or they get a flu and then a cough when they grow because the lungs become tight. The skeleton oh. the lungs become tight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's interesting. Fundamental. <laughs> yes. Yes. Very interesting. <laughs> what, a, what a beautiful and intricate, you know, tapestry we are as human beings (laughs) aren't we just amazing really and and we need to remind ourselves of that you know um I'll tell you I'll just tell you a quick story we had before all this happened we had um a decorator come Mm -hmm. and um he actually had a lot of mental health issues we knew him for a while but um, we didn't know that he'd suffered, you know, two breakdowns since the last time we saw him. Anyway, he came round and he'd had some sort of an awakening, a spiritual awakening. And this had actually made him not be able to cope. So he said, I sat there and he lives near a lake. He said, I sat there one day, Mimi, and I thought to myself, as I moved my hand and I moved my leg, I thought, who is it? that's actually allowing me to move all of this. Mm. This is like this amazing machine, but it's not. He said, it's so amazing. He said, and I realized, he said, that we were so much more. And then he couldn't cope because his spiritual state had overcome his physical Mm. in that moment. But it was such a simple lesson Mm -hmm. that look at us, you know, here we are, we have such a power within us and this beauty and, you know, like we were talking, I'm going to ask you because I know that you're publishing a book about birds, about the birds and about all these beautiful animals and beings and things that surround us that we were so unaware of before. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So how how did he... Like, did, did he rationalize that? Did he get to a place where the two, two parts of him were, were able to come together? Yes. He said that in the end, he thought to himself, this is God. For him, wow. um, he said, I realized there was a higher power and that I don't need to worry about life because if I can fall asleep and my heart is working and my lungs are working and I get up in the morning then that tells me there's a higher power looking after me. Beautiful. Mm. So that, that was amazing, really. That was sort of a lesson also, mm-hmm. in a way, you know, because we can learn so much from different people. And I'm always looking to learn. Every person I meet, Caroline, I always think, what has that person got to teach me? <laughs> and, you know, my grandfather actually instilled that in me. He said, do, do not walk around like you know anything. Walk around like you know nothing. And every single person that you meet will teach you something, is your teacher. And I've tried to uphold that in life. And it stood me so far in good stead because I've learned so much, you know, mm-hmm. from all sorts of people in all walks of life. And I think that's important now. I think it's a time 
where we need to share that wisdom with each other because I think we all have some sort of divine wisdom within us that resides and we're here for a purpose a greater purpose yeah 100% and I I think also that this is the time now you know we and we can do this through the mediums that we have to do this by you know so we have we have social media and we have to look at the positive again it's coming back to the positive benefits of that when you when you were talking about the man by the lake you know one of the things in 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 lockdown that that I absolutely loved. I'm, I'm lucky enough to live quite near Hampstead Heath. It's about 20 mm-hmm. minutes away. And I would walk up to those ponds on Hampstead Heath and just sit next to the ponds and allow them to take whatever it was that was holding me, you know, and that might've been some anxiety. I mean, I, I worked so hard during that period of time. My clients needed a lot of support. I, I had a lot of information. I've been watching you know, since since I, it was the 23rd of January that we heard that a city in China had gone into lockdown and so or quarantine, as it was called then. And I was like, wow, what what do that what don't they want to let out of there? Mm. And um, something really bad, I thought, you know, and, and so I just watched that space and being a homeopath, I watched exactly the symptoms as well that people were suffering from. I was preparing and planning for my clients and thinking, well, we might need to these remedies then you know they might need them in their pharmacies at home and as it got closer you know it became a bigger conversation so I wrote to my clients and said check what you've got in the box at home if you need certain remedies you know order them from the pharmacy uh, come to me I created a little kind of six pack of remedies um, that I sent out to a lot of people and um, and saw a lot of people through through this you know through this uh, disease uh, comfortably you know and I do have some clients who are suffering from what we're calling long COVID you know I do have some people who definitely have got really concerning diverse symptoms so there was a lot of going a lot going on you know I was following all that news um I was definitely going to bed late and waking up early you know it's spring and I, but I'd go up to the lakes and I and the ponds and I would just let it all go you know in that stillness so I love that image of him sitting next to Yes, through the lake and asking for the messages to come really you know and I, mm. it took me a long time I don't know about you but it took me a long time I felt like meditation you know or or um messages from that sort of ethereal realm I, I it's like how did they come you know people would talk about inspiration or we'll talk about that in a minute but you know and I'd be, and actually it's, it is what come, immerse yourself in that space. And it is the messages that come, the things that fall into your head. They're not weird. They're not, it's just, that's what needs to be heard. And so um, we do need to take back our power around that. You're absolutely right. That divine power. And we need to share that and encourage that in others. Um, I just wanted to talk about the breath, just that, I yes. that word inspiration, you know, that yes. it's also the breath. And it is also that exciting the mind. And when I do workshops, one of the things that um, we didn't say there, and it's it does form part of what I do when I do workshops and um, retreats I hold, we'll, we'll do some health workshops as well. Um, is is that we we look at we look at patterns in nature, and the lobe of the lungs is so similar to the lobe of the brain and we inspire into both spaces. So we inspire into the brain and, the, and that cortex and we inspire into, into the lungs, you know, and it will be through the breath. 
It might be through smell that reminds us of something past. You know, we're very sighted creatures and we tend to rely on sight, particularly with a lot of digital information. So, you know, a great way to immediately move away from the digital is actually to engage in, in scent, you know, in, and you were talking about frankincense when, mm. before we came online. And, um, and I love that of, of carrying around frankincense, which is known to fill us with inspiration. It is healing for the lungs, you know, so to carry around that scent to return to, mm. find ourselves to come back to that place, which we seek, which is calm, connected, centered. Yeah. Amazing. It is. I'll just say to the listeners that um, me and Caroline were talking just before we came onto the podcast and um, I have a love of frankincense and so does she. Mm -hmm. And uh, she had got some, hadn't you, some frankincense from Oman and I've got exactly the same frankincense. (laughs) And so we had a little moment there where I got a bit excited about the whole thing. And what I said, what is what I do with frankincense? This is me personally, that I've always done. Uh, when I want to be sort of, when I find myself a little bit out there and need to reconnect more deeply into myself, I put frankincense into a bottle. I burn it as well, but I put it into a bottle, a glass bottle, and let it dissolve as much as you'll still have fragments of it and you drink it. And then once you've drank it, you'll start, I have this thing where you smell this beautiful smell. And then you realize it's you because there I am sniffing my hand and my arm and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, it's me actually. And it's a, to me, it's a reminder that we are exquisite celestial beings that <laughs> we forget how beautiful we are. I'm so doing that. I've never done it. So just, uh, we should actually say for the listeners as well, and we're not talking about frankincense essential oil. No, um, you should you should never, to my in my book, um, drink essential oils. They're incredibly potentized versions of mm. of um, you know plant substances. But we're talking about frankincense, which actually is a gum. Frankincense mm. is a gum, and it comes from certain trees, and it's gathered. So you know, like it's like the sap of the tree. Um, or I believe actually, I might need to check that. But it's a it's a gum, it's a resin, and yeah. um, and we're talking. Is it boswellia? Is it boswellia, Caroline? That's right. Yeah, and it yeah. comes in little funny irregular shaped lumps, and you can actually see sometimes they look like a teardrop, don't they? You know. Yes. But yeah, so we're talking about that and putting that in water and a very good grade of frankincense. You you can actually consume the gum, the resin that is. Um, and there are lots of resins that we do consume. I mean, birch sap is supposed to be very, very good for us. I love trees. Yeah, me I, too. The gift of trees, and mm. again, the just the, the. I love that forest bathing. Like it's a new thing, but I love that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know, but it, it it we need to be reminded of it. We I'm do. glad you mentioned that because mm-hmm. I I was watching a program and I don't really watch television at all. Um, Low vibration. <laughs> I, I can't, you know, I, but I watched the program and I tell you why I watched the program mm-hmm. because as I was flicking on to, I put on YouTube and I put YouTube on, um, onto my television mm-hmm. and then I can watch all sorts of things that I feel at ease and at peace with. But as it was coming off and, you know, it's coming on and off, on and off. And then there was a program 
and I think it was last week and it was I don't know if you're aware of it and it was about a man who could talk to trees and listen to the vibration of the trees have you ever heard of that I haven't I I haven't heard of him but I yeah I can imagine (laughs) so what what it is listen to this this is absolutely incredible so each tree, the way that it pulls the water up through the roots and through its whole system, mm-hmm. which I find fascinating, every single tree has its own music. So every single tree, when they listen, he was listening to it and put his ear to it, had a different music. Mm-hmm. Because each type of tree obviously is different and has different benefits and it's an, an entity in its own right. Mm-hmm. But if you listen to it, it produces a certain type of vibration and a music that is healing. And different trees, if you put your ear to them, give you a different type of healing. Wow. I, I was just... Oh I just feel relaxed knowing that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why, I mean, of course, I mean, I'm no expert in, in trees, but yeah. this is where I suppose, oh, no. you know, I did a lot of hugging of trees. I got mm-hmm. struck by lightning. And then every time I touched an electric socket, Caroline, Mm -hmm. it would just short. The whole thing, the electrics would go off. So my then homeopath, who has retired since, said, you need to go and hug trees and a lot of them. And it took six months (laughs) of a lot of tree hugging, let me tell you. But it worked. And this is the same thing. Imagine every tree Mm. has its own music that heals different conditions. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. I'm reading a book and I don't know if it even is the same guy. It's called The Hidden Life of Trees. And I haven't, um, that's really interesting book. And that's part of my, you know, part of my research for, for writing Bird is the Word. Um, I, somebody said, oh, have you read this? And, I, and, and it's about all the stuff about how one side of the forest, you know, hears what's coming and all the mycelium, which is the network underneath the tree. Yes, yes, it's ne- yes. It's, that, you know, it's the that, tree's internet, yes. you know. We're so slow. I mean, the thing, is, the thing is about all of the things we do, we think the internet is fantastic. And it is. I mean, look, let's face it. You know, we're talking through, the, through this incredible medium. And we invent this. The trees are just like, yeah, been doing it for years. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Because this is the it's research so for your book, is it? sorry is it the research for your book yes yeah which it's you know a book a book is a is a lifetime of stuff you suddenly realize you've been gathering you know your whole life for certain things well I feel like this about all my work you know I've got this sort of I feel I kind of have this image of myself with a little old you know wicker basket over my arm gathering (laughs) stuff information and it comes out in my newsletters to my clients or it comes out in my practice or it might occasionally come out in a creative practice my background was fine art and fine art textiles and I drew from a very very early age and my first ever drawing was was a bird it was a crow or a rook and we used to call them or I don't know if I called them this or or my family did used to call it iron beak we used to call the rooks iron beak with a big sharp you know gray beak and um and that was my first drawing. I must ask my mum to have a look at it. She's still got it. And mm. I drew from an early age. Um, and it, and it, it just was interesting that my first ever drawing was a bird. But bird watching was something that the family did. You know, we, we 
I, and I remember my granny, my granny would say after breakfast every day, when we went to see granny, she would, she would take, we must've had a tablecloth because she'd take the tablecloth and say, shake the trum, the crumbs on top of the coal bunker. And she said, now my Robin will come. I love the way she said, now my Robin will come. <laughs> and the Robin would come down and eat the crumbs. And, you know, that the way that birds come into our lives and we go out to them and we invite them into our lives. And about, um, I, I, I rented a cottage for a while and it had a very small garden, but, and I don't have a garden in London. It's, I have a flat and, um, mm -hmm. and I, and, uh, I have lots of indoor plants, but I rented this space and there weren't, because it was, there were lots of student accommodation nearby. There weren't many cats. I realized that that was a big thing. There weren't many cats and there weren't, there weren't, I don't think anyone in the street on my side had dogs. Um, so there weren't many deterrents basically for the birds. And I just put some bird feeders up and that tiny garden, not only did I get it rammed full of flowers, which I loved, but and, and managed to grow dahlias, it, which in Plymouth is, is quite a feat because it's damp. And mm, mm. bring slugs. <laughs> slugs. Oh, don't talk to me about slugs. <laughs> so I loved growing. I, I discovered I have a talent for that. And I and um, but uh, the birds that came into that small space just through me encouraging, you know, them in by two or three feeders. It wasn't a big garden space, and then this um, little um, coconut fat thing. It looks like half a coconut with with nice food. Oh yes, I know. Yeah. yeah. And, mm -hmm. and so it's a tiny garden. And then sometimes this magpie would fly in. He loved that fat ball thing. And he would fly in and I just get to see those incredible feathers up really close, you know, and he, he would come in and he would be a little edgy because the space was really too small for him. And he needs, the, he needs a bigger space for his wingspan, but he wanted that fat. So he would come in and the little birds would all go away. And there were just so many, so many families of um, uh, sparrows that came through and blue tits and coal tits. It was just so much in that tiny, tiny space. But one, when I would walk out, when I would, so I wasn't there all the time. I was commuting to and from London. So I'd be in London for sort of three or four days and then I'd come oh. back and I would walk out into the garden with a bag of feed when I got back and you just immediately hear the little birds in the trees going, she's back, she's back, she's back, peeping, she's peeping. Oh. I'd put the, and then they'd, and it just, I learned so much in that, in that time there, you know, um, about, about how easy it is to make, to bring the natural world back in, you know, yeah. bring the world, natural world back into your life very close up and that actually we can engage in it very quickly. You know, a long time back, it was 2008, me and my ex-partner got a camper van mm -hmm. and um, it was the first time I'd been in Scotland for a long time to holiday, at least in the Highlands. I used to do a lot of mountain climbing and walking and, you know, paragliding. Well, no, what, not paragliding, what's it called? Abseiling and climbing and abseiling, uh -huh. all that stuff. And, um, and I was in a part of Scotland that I knew, knew very, very well from my teens because I climbed and I was a hike leader and et cetera. But I hadn't really been back there since my early 20s. And there I was in my you know, mid-40s or something. And we... And, and, um, and we got out at Loch Lomond. We were out of the van and a family got out of the car next to us or nearby. And they just got out all this kit. I mean, they got out so much kit. And I looked at them aghast. I was like, oh my God, we need so much kit to go outdoors these days. This is insane. 
we need, you know, it, we don't need all that to, <clears throat> excuse me, to engage in the natural world. Yeah. Like it's over there, you know, and we've got to go to decathlon before we can even go near it. It's, it's crazy. So my mission with the book is to bring, is to bring um, the bird world in particular, because the birds have lots of so many fabulous messages um, and um, is to, is to bring, is to bring that closer for people and to, to create an opportunity to immerse immediately in that <clears throat> connected reconnection space that there is in nature. So, um, yeah, just going to have a <laughs> Now, the book is going to be published next year, and it's called <laughs> Bird yeah. is the Word. Yes, so Bird is the Word. Which is, what is the book about? Um, the book is about bird watching um, rather than about, about it's not a, it's not a catalogue of birds. And it's about, really about what um, bird watching can bring us. So bird watching is good for our mental health. Um, we can immerse into the, the meditative state, the relaxed state um, through, through the bird realm. And there'll be, you know, there are, I've traveled all over the world um, and I always have my binoculars with me. So there's a lot of stories that lead into information about about birds in themselves so last uh october i was up in the shetland islands ostensibly for shetland wool week which was absolutely fantastic mm -hmm. I, I also knit when i've got time to oh my goodness yeah. <laughs> no i don't get a lot of time for it so don't expect a jumper just yet <laughs> i kind of Friends who get socks have no idea how lucky they are. When they get a <laughs> pair of socks, they have no idea how lucky they are. Oh, what a fascinating... Oh, that's just amazing. Yeah. So the book, just on the boyfriend with the camper van, not long before we, we split up, actually, which is, you know, it's always sad when a relationship ends, but there was a lot of joy in that relationship and we travelled together and we did a lot of fabulous things. Anyway, along the way... I was trying to knit him a pair of socks, you know, and, and the mm. joke was, when are the socks going to get finished or will I ever get the other one? We, we had our camper van broken <laughs> into and um, oh, I had my, I know, horrible, but had my suitcase stolen because I was about to go to the airport to fly. Maybe we were both about to go to the airport to fly home and we were going to leave it there in North Italy and come back to it a few weeks later or something like that. Anyway, had the camper van broken into and the suitcase stolen and the nearly complete oh. pair of socks. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, <laughs> knitting, Yeah, but we were in Shetland. We were in, we were in the Shetland Islands, which are absolutely stunning. And we were lucky. What's it like there? I've always wanted to go there, Caroline. It's the most incredible place. Um, it is very windy. And normally it's very windy and it's kind of that wind where it comes sideways, I think. Mm -hmm. and it can be rainy so it's neither very very hot or very very cold but it's all the way all the way through the year it's always windy is it yeah I think so we were just super lucky I would say the autumn's generally a good time to go to Scotland um mm -hmm. because you you should get some sunny days and summer's not great it can be a bit muggy but um I'm sure I'm sure we'll have some Scottish listeners. I hope so. Um, but the Shetland Islands are beautiful, and you you fly up there, or you get a boat from Aberdeen, and um, it's we hired a car. Um, it's the best way to get about, and uh, the Shetland Wool Week takes place over the whole island, so you can go and visit little crofts where the sheep are. Um, you can they have their, I have a smaller sheep dog than elsewhere because the sheep are mm -hmm. very, um, they have a very, the reason the wool is so popular is because it's a very 
it's it's windy and so the sheep have grown a very soft dense wool to keep the wind out basically oh wow <laughs> i know so so it was a really really interesting place but while we were there i learned that um the vikings used to go to the shetlands for their ravens the very special oh, really? exactly so the book's full of all those oh really stuff oh my goodness. as you go around you know so yeah, I love that family of birds. The they call them the the corvidae, the crows, the ravens, the jays. Um, in Australia, they have they have magpies too, but we have magpies here. They're in the crow family, so they're scavengers, and they're very interesting. Very very clever birds. You so, know, I I um I heard that they are sort of messengers from the other world. Yes, very much so. The mm. ravens see into the future. So, so when when um, when uh, the you know COVID was coming before it well, was it mm-hmm. COVID at that point when it was on the way and um, and uh, I've, I've I've been a homeopath for twenty years and I graduated in two thousand. So the year after was was nine eleven. And then seven years after I graduated was the London bus bombing. And each time we've had a trauma situation, mm-hmm. I've opened a trauma, cl- trauma clinic or I've done some kind of trauma response. I might have written a document with trauma remedies, first aid remedies. Most people mm-hmm. know Arnica actually is, is our number one first aid remedy for bumps and bruises and shock. Mm. So I might have written a small document to help people. And obviously, more recently in, in England, we had Grenfell. So in all of these situations, I've run some kind of trauma clinic. I've um, created a, some kind of response or support. So even when we had Fukushima, you know, people from Japan were contacting mm-hmm. us and saying, what's our anti-radiation <coughs> remedies, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so I said to my students, I, I supervise a very small group of students because it's quite intense doing supervision. But this year I've got five. And I said to them, you're going to need to know what to do. You're, you're going to need to, to know how to support your patient population because, because, and I had a really great conversation with a local filmmaker who's making a film. He's called Mungo Benson and he's making a film about people's local people's locals response businesses and their, and their situations and responses to COVID. And we had this great conversation that, you know, COVID is about how we feel about the world. Whereas, you know, when other disasters happen, it's about how we do and be in the world, you know, so, so mm. disaster happens, we, we go and support, we give some money, we take some clothes, we, we give someone a bed, <clears throat> we give them food. But when a disease comes, it suddenly taps into all the things that we feel about life and death. You know, this is death threatening to us. This is not, this is not something that's happening over there that we can assuage our guilt about through, you know, or get engaged in you know this is something that could happen to anybody and Mm. I think we spent an awful lot of time not having that conversation with COVID and my group of students you know I said you need to you're going to need to support clients and and as we come as we've come out of lockdown it's about emotional support it's about entering into the space again you know I was listening to the radio the other day and um, students, you know, that are going into university in September, the anxiety, isolation and loneliness, that's what's on their mind. You know, when yeah. I went to university, what about you? When I went to university, I was excited about meeting new people and parties. 
It's a completely different time. It was a completely different time to now. Mm. So, Mm. so the the group, um, because it's called COVID, I called them the COVID eye, the COVID. So, you know, I said, I'm going to train you how to see into the future. I'm going to train you to see what's to come and how to provide for your clients because you're going to need to know. And this is what, this is how the book really was born for me. It's, mm. it's really good to talk about it because the book's been there kind of growing. I've got loads of notes. I've got little, you know, anecdotes. I've got this. And, and, and the book's really come out of this time where I've really understood that we turned to the bird realm and we have always turned to the bird realm because the birds tell us what, what is coming. Birds also tell us what we've done. You know, so when we see seagulls in London, living in London, they tell us how messy we've been, really. Yes. yes <laughs> you know, so they, they have this, they, they do see into the future and they tell us what's to come. Mm. Mm. It's true. And it is, again, about learning a language that, mm. well, relearning, I would say, because I think that we absolutely can speak different languages on so many different levels. And I'm not talking on the human level. I'm talking of a language that every single person and every single living being understands, whether that be animals, birds, from whatever kingdom it is, the natural Mm -hmm. kingdom. I think that is within us, all of us. It totally is. And I, and you know, really what came up for me there was the sense of touch you know, that when you touch an animal, the reading, you know, the conversation, the languaging is, is so apparent, isn't it? You know, if you mm-hmm. touch tentatively, if you touch, you know, you caress, you know, and this, this, this worry about lack of touch, you know, for people living alone during lockdown, mm-hmm. um, et cetera. You know, it, it's, it's a very interesting time that we're in. Um, I think a lot, of, a lot of potential for good out of this time. We just have to keep reminding ourselves of that. We do. And I think we have to do it daily, Caroline, and moment to moment as well, that we do not become desolate and desperate Mm -hmm. in these times because this is a time of growth, of being reborn in a way. It's a way for a new world. And the world is being, I suppose, rebirthed, whether we accept it or not it's happening you know it's like I always say this it's like getting on an aeroplane and you're on the aeroplane and it's too late then because it's going to its destination there's no turning back you can't ask him to turn back it's you're on the plane whether you do anything or not it's still taking you to that destination yes Although there was that one point when lockdown mm. happened where the planes actually turned around and came back. And that was so surreal. It was, mm. oh. <laughs> yeah, I, still, I mean. Talking of that, actually, mm. just, just a tiny little thing. And I'd love to hear what, what you, you say on mm. it too. Um, it, we're in writing the book, you know, there's notes and there's, and I've come back to so many times, so many moments where I've, where I've gone, Oh my goodness, time is so not linear that the, the yes. seed, this, we were talking about seeds earlier um, offline, and, and just the seed for this, it was all there. It's like, wow. <laughs> time you know, is a strange thing. Yeah. 
do you know what? Funny you should say that. Well, not funny. Time. <laughs> Time. And I tell you what it was. I had a dream, and this was last night. And I'll share it with you now because you've brought up time. And I had this dream and it was about time. And it was really odd. It was as if we were in this time, but there was another time. And it was maybe 20 years ago. You know, I was young and, you know, now I feel like an old goat, I have to say. But, you know, I was young and... um much more sort of, you know, agile, maybe a little bit, but it was that time. But I was living two lives and I suddenly thought wow. in the dream, there's no such thing. Mm-hmm. There is no time. Actually, we are multidimensional beings and everything in this present moment has so many different layers to it. Totally. It's, it's, you know, as well, <laughs> this, is, this relates to the birds. So, so I've, I told this story a few times and, I'm, and it will turn up in the book, but, mm. but um, apparently certain mm. birds arrive in the UK from, from migration on the same day every year. Can you believe that? Exactly the same day. So the same, so the cuckoo, apparently, and I think it's puffins. I need to check that because that was a new bit of knowledge for me that I wrote down somewhere. But they arrive on the same day. It's like it's the 24th of April, the cuckoo is here. And I was just like, oh my goodness, that's why it's called a cuckoo clock and not an owl clock or a puffin clock or anything else. It's it's because the cuckoo is so regular in its time. And and the concept of being multidimensional I think is very frightening mm. for somebody who is very bound to time and place and rhythm and routine and that we, you know, routine's an interesting thing, you know, having, having a, a routine is fundamental to structure. You know, I'm working with some people at the moment, um, a team and um, so it's in a, in a group and, you know, a lot of people are like, I'm not very good at making a plan, you know, and we need, we do need, time-based activity to to succeed but when that becomes too rigid when that becomes too too much our focus um then then we you know it's like we 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 become too too rigid too stuck and the mental health issues come into place and that's what i want to bring what's there for us in the bird realm in bird watching is is to move away from a a time-based activity to lose ourselves in something and to see what comes out of that space you know to see what what you say multi-dimensional what kind of things come out of that space of losing ourselves in a process when i'm drawing you know this goes back a long way when i was drawing um, I would lose myself in that space of drawing. That, that that's actually a very meditative process for me. So even doing you know life drawing or something mm. like that is is very meditative to lose ourselves in an activity and not be bound by the clock, and not be bound also by space. You know, it's a lot of a lot of stuff at the moment. Is is there's we're in this in the box in lockdown, and 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 you know we we have concerns about enclosed space about how much enclosed space is you know brings us back to that conversation about the mills you know and taking people out of 
out of the off the land and into an enclosed space but we also enclose the land and that is both beneficial for us you know in the advance of science and the kind of things that we can do now you know it takes us out of the out of the mud but what does it take us into it's about achieving that balance isn't it you're very right caroline it it absolutely does and i think one of the biggest things that i noticed during this lockdown is something that i'd always sort of touched upon i don't know about you um but the body really in a way is like a cage mm. and they describe the soul as the bird in the cage mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i think we all struggle with something in our life but one of the most i think difficult things to accept is that everything is momentary and that Mm -hmm. there is change in every single second of our life we might not realize it but even ourselves you know the body everything around us is in perpetual change so i think it's important to rise above that time the prison of time Mm -hmm. because if we think about it where did our life go it's been mm. the blink of an eye up until now. Yes. It, it, you know, you can blink and it's, we're here. We're already here. And from where did we come and to where are we going? And in between is the journey, you know? So, you know, they say the greatest mystics is that they're not confined to time and space. Yeah. And when we're not confined by such things, I mean, I never wear a watch. You know, I don't mm-hmm. like wearing watches. And even, you know, when I travel, I put, I have a watch, but I put it in my bag. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like to wear a watch, but it's a freedom. I think the only way to survive in this time now is to rise above time and mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. And, to cre- and to create... Um, exactly to create to create that that in your in your week your day when when you can just drift you know we're not very good at just drifting and um and i and i and that you know cloud gazing (laughs) yes we need to give ourselves the gift of cloud gazing and allowing the mind to just drift um and and not to put it over there that it has to be done you know on 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 Thursday night at six, I go for my meditation. You know, it's it, mm. it, it needs to become something that you know is is relished and free flowing. You know, that moves moves into our lives. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a really interesting. I'm mean, thinking about time. It, you know, it creates a it creates a box for us. It creates mm. a, a pattern but it's when the, the pattern becomes the cage that we have to be careful of. You know, someone was talking, I'm not sure if it was my Pilates teacher, but about rib cage, how, what a terrible word that actually was. No, it was my, it was my yoga teacher, Anna Ashby. And it was, um, she was talking about the rib cage and what a terrible name that was for, yes. for the breath. You know? <laughs> um, and the cage, you know, the rib cage is mm. where the heart is. Mm. Exactly. So the cage the heart is in a cage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's terrible that we've given it that name. Mm. You know? mm. Mm. So, there, Yeah, there's a lot to be said for that, actually. 
Mm. There's really a lot to be said. Now, I want to ask you, Caroline, something that I absolutely love and use in my life. Um, and again, it's to do with nature and the power of nature is that you are a flower essence practitioner, mm. aren't you? Yeah. yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. So, so flower essences are similar to homeopathy in that they are a very diluted substance. So they're very different from um, aromatherapy, which is a very concentrated substance. So aromatherapy is where we've taken all the um, uh, plant elements out in, in, into, into a very concentrated version, so very strong smells. And a flower essence is, it's made differently to homeopathy, but it's a similar kind of uh, dilution. So homeopathy is a very high vibration remedy. It is. It comes into remedies are made through, and I didn't talk about this earlier, but they're made through a process of what we call succussion, where where um, the element is is uh, shaken and and vibrated into into its energetic um, properties. Flower essences are a bit more receptive in terms of how they're made, and flower essences have been used um, for hundreds, thousands of years, um, Hildegard of, of Bergen talked about um, uh, using flower essences, using the dew from the grass or flowers oh, wow. and, and laying a cloth over the, over the grass, the dew, and then laying it on, on your face to, to uh, draw in, you know, the essence of the flower, the healing properties of the plant. And so um, I learned about, I use, mostly use the Australian bush flower essences and I learned about those when I was in Australia and um, they are phenomenal. They're slightly more contemporary in terms of um, their, their picture, what we call the Materia Medica, than a lot of the other flowers. Mm. So they're very, very easy for people to use. They're also, you know, they're fantastic. I teach about flower essences, and they are very easy to use alongside homeopathy, alongside mainstream medicine, and homeopathy too can be used alongside mainstream med medicine. A lot of people think it's an either-or situation. It's like no, they can they can be used together. Um, and um, flower essences are 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 very easy to use. You just put them in some water or take them directly in the mouth. And usually, you know, if somebody's listening and thinks, "Well, I'd quite like to try them," we usually prescribe for emotional issues for a couple of weeks and physical. Mm -hmm physical issues maybe for a bit longer four weeks or something like that and um and what's nice is they've got a simple materia medica usually and it just says this is the this is the negative state and this is the positive state um so you know you might have a remedy like um tall yellow top which is is is, is a great remedy for isolation you know, mm -hmm. so so what we see the the plant actually grows in groups, and so so we see that the plant um, that that the person that takes it then becomes more uh, engaged in in the group. You know, so the healing aspect of of the plant is that I've got I've got some really some great favourites in that group. You know, there's a there's a remedy called um, slender rice flower, which is for uh, internal scars but it, you'd also use it for internal scarring on the emotional level as well. You know, so they're, they're really, yeah, they're just, they're absolutely stunning um, remedies. And these are the bush flower remedies. Australian bush flower remedies. Very easy, very easy for somebody who's interested, um, but doesn't know much about um, 
this type of medicine to engage in. Whereas homeopathy, we tend to need a little bit more information. And I do first aid courses and, you know, break down some of the kind of, well, people get, we get into mindsets about stuff and people say, Oh, can I, you know, can I do it if I've got this? I'm like, you know, do I, can I, do I have to give up coffee or, you know, whatever it is. So, so, um, but the flower essences are very easy for a complete lay person to go, do you know what? That sounds like me. I'm, I'm going to try that. And they're very readily available as well. Now I use the bath remedies. Yes. I've been using yes. them for years. And do yes. you offer courses on that as well? I haven't done training in, in, um, he's, he's Edward, he's actually Edward, Edward Batch. He was, he was well, yes, that's it. So I this is how we pronounce his name. Yeah. It took me a long time to learn. Yes. <laughs> he's not <laughs> German. Edward he's Bart, Welsh. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, I tell you what, if anyone wants is listening and loves flower essences and wants to visit his cottage, um, it's in Oxfordshire. It's absolutely such a sweet place. And all I've the, been there. I've been have there. Have you? Yes. <gasps> Isn't it gorgeous? Have you? Have you? Yeah. Isn't it lovely? It's beautiful. It's yeah. really like from a fairy tale. It's really from a fairy tale. It's just yeah. such a beautiful place. And um, yeah, so they, again, are very easy remedies to use. Um, things I love about those remedies. So in, in one of my books, um, they group those remedies. Again, it's this group thing. So they group the remedies into as about five or six remedies in the group over concern for others' welfare. Mm. And what you see in that group of remedies is remedies like beech, vervain, vine. And these, these are judgmental people. These are hard nuts to crack. These are, um, people who tell other people what to do you know they're the bossy ones mm-hmm. and and what's what's really great is when you realize that those people are only bossy or judgmental um, because they actually care so much you know they're over concerned for others welfare and mm-hmm. that actually you know the remedy helps bring back into balance you know, so, so as a health practitioner, you know, it would be very easy, especially I'm into things like superfoods and juicing and, you know, I'm a healthy person. People say, oh, you're so good. I'm like, really? <laughs> no. What do you mean? I'm so good. You know, but, um, but uh, it, you know, it would be very easy to walk around going, well, shouldn't be eating that or shouldn't be doing that, you know? So it is a, it is a constant balancing, isn't it? Life, you know, a constant breath in and out of, of, of coming to a place of acceptance. Yes. Yes, it's true. I mean, you know, and what's wonderful is that things such as these flower remedies are so readily available mm. on them that yeah. anyone can really um, explore that and read about them and see if this is for them. But they're almost, it's almost, as we said, fairy tale. You know, the things of fairy tales where every plant is a healer, everything is a mm-hmm. healer, but we just need to learn how to work with it and how to use it in effect. It is. And one of the things we do on retreat is often the best place to do it. You know, I love doing an exercise where we go out. I mean, the last retreat I did was in, in Spain in, um, in another country, you know, that we could fly to. Um, yes, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> 
That sounds a bit sort of, I don't know, fantasy-like now. It seems like a fantasy, exactly. It was only last September. Um, um, But we did this exercise, and I was blown away by people's uh, response, really, um, where we just go out and we focus on one element and um, we spend a bit of time with it and we ask what its message is. And the poem that a friend of mine wrote to the mountain, I mean, I cried. It was absolutely beautiful. And it was so her and it so opened up an engagement and a connection for her about about life right now you know yeah amazing we just need to learn to listen to those messages from nature again to reconnect with that you know to to we've we've been told to move too far away from it you know we've got all Mm. rational (laughs) it's true it's true now you do the retreats and i know you've done some in italy and spain Mm -hmm. and what because, you know, I'm the eternal optimist, Caroline. <laughs> you have to be, you know. Um, but on these retreats, what sort of things um, were the people engaged in? What sort of things were you offering? Well, I, I think all of my retreats, I've worked with a yoga teacher. So I do a bit of um, qigong and movement. And I've, I've done yoga for years and years. Um, mm-hmm. And I... And I done some qigong as well i do do i do do a little bit of that myself but usually i'm working with a yoga teacher and so we'll have yoga at the beginning of the day and yoga at the end of the day and maybe a meditation in the evening which either i or my yeah, my partner will will um will lead so the last retreat i was with um angie klein and we call it the well-being retreat and and in the middle of the day we had health workshops and then in between it was in it's at a place in spain called las chimeneas uh, we had the most delicious food. <laughs> they, they, it's it's a if you look up Las Chimeneas, they they have um, they've got rare, various kind of awards or you know best mountain hideaway retreat or mm. uh, but the food is amazing and the, the people from Morrow's our restaurant in London uh, take their staff to Las Chimeneas um, as a as a treat I think. Um, mm. at Christmas and they train a bit there in the local cuisine so the cuisine of the Alpujarras that part of Spain is a is little... that um, in Granada yeah south of Granada between mm. Granada and the coast and um, it's beautiful it's part of the world isn't it amazing it is amazing I love the people Adia. yeah <laughs> me too yeah where have you been there where have you oh well I went there and then I went all over Spain and I lived in Spain Mm. on and off for about four years so what I used to Mm. do uh in Spain is that I have friends there who own sort of country retreats so they Mm. own country houses you know how it is over there the family house is always in the countryside yes so they would sort of work in the city of Barcelona or Madrid or Valencia um, Mercia, wherever it was. And then they'd have the family home, which was sort of either inherited or that just had for the weekend or for holidays. Mm -hmm. And then I would go and see them. And obviously, you know, Sierra Nevada. And there was one place that I absolutely adored and I can't remember now where it was. And it was somewhere high in the mountains. And a friend of ours, he was a sculptor. Mm. And he bought, he was the sculptor 
for the then king of Spain. So he made, I, I think, the door knocker for actually one of the um, residences. Mm-hmm. But he bought this place, and I can't remember because my memory is so bad, really. Um, he bought this place, and it had three rivers running through it, Caroline, mm. and mountains and chickens and goats and all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And it was just absolutely amazing so I used to do retreats there they would invite me and say just come and do it and we would be there we would actually be two weeks at a time Mm. it was sort of an intense type of um retreat but I've seen some beautiful beautiful play yes yeah so the yeah exactly the two towns have you been there? there? I couldn't think of it. Have you been yeah, there? Orgiver. Yeah, that's really... So I have a very, good, very dear friend who's got um, a house between Orgiva and Kadiar. They're the two houses, they're the two towns mm-hmm. in, in, in basically in the Alpujarra. Yeah. Um, the sort of biggest market towns, if you like. Um, mm. Yeah. So I know, I know Orgiva well. Oh, it's, it's an incredible part of the world. And what I love about it, and, and again, it's this sort of balance really, is, is that um, when, you, when you're there, you, there's, you can see the reason for um, the way that the village is laid out. You know, they've got the threshing mm. circles and they've got the chestnut trees and the beams of the houses are made out of the chestnut trees. And, you know, it, yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible region. I love it. It's, it's still got, you know, they still have... Uh, horse racing on the mountains you know like village horse racing kind of things and um yeah just yeah it's it, it, it's where it's where all the ham on comes from you know so the wind dried ham is that yes 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 and um it is it is oh, it's, um it's really fascinating it is really and i've been up also to bilbao um, all that area yeah and, I haven't been um, there much have you never uh, no it appeals really, it really does appeal. it is it's, it's mm. very beautiful and then Zaragoza and all along to Valencia and all of that part you know mm-hmm. Mercia and all of that yeah um, and also one of my favorite places is Granada because they have the gypsy quarter there yes you know with the flamenco yes. dancers yes. yeah Oh my goodness! I think I could have run away with them. Absolutely, it's in each of those <laughs> each of those big big towns or big cities, mm. Isabia, Cordoba. They have that the Gypsy Quarter. It's amazing. Oh, isn't yes. it? it's funny. Okay. You know, when I I used to do, I'm going to tell you something you probably don't know about me. I used to do trapeze. At, uh, Did you? Yeah. Were and, you a circus um, artist? Sort of. It was. It was a side. It was a side hustle. Um, and um, <laughs> but it was you know we a group of us went and that's in the book actually that that comes into that's the story about that comes into the book but um, mm-hmm. I, when I first started I was like oh my god if I was younger if I was twenty six I would have run away and joined the circus it was absolutely hands down I would have done this you know and I was much older when I did it so um, did you run away and join the circus I would have done no I would have done absolutely <laughs> but I, but you know when I when I did it I had two kids and um they were in their teens and uh it wasn't going to happen <laughs> well you know funny funny you should say that I do you, do you remember the book by Enid Blyton is it Mr Galliano's circus do you remember I don't, that book? I don't know it no <clears throat> it was one of my favorite books as a mm-hmm. child and mm-hmm. um 
my dream was to run away with the gypsies or to the circus. Fabulous. And, and I thought, well, what job am I going to do? This was the, this was my questioning. You know, <laughs> I was like six or seven. What job am I going to do in the circus? Because I don't want to be with the animals because I, I didn't like the animal story, you know, mm-hmm. with them being locked up. That sort of made me a little bit sad even as a child. And I thought, what am I going to do? And I thought, I can be a trapeze artist. Mm. So I planned to run away with the circus. That was my actual dream. And to go and dance with the gypsies around the fire and do flamenco and, Mm -hmm. you know, live happily ever after. (laughs) (laughs) So I understand you totally. So it was, it was just, I dream it, I dream sequences, you know. I, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was amazing. Where did you learn to be a trapeze artist? I first went, up, I live in North London, and I went up the road here to um, Jackson's Lane, and I trained with um, Moira Campbell, and she was absolutely fantastic. She was such, a, such an enabling, beautiful teacher and she she's now living in australia still doing still doing uh, trapeze and aerials and um and then if you believe this we we i liked it and i got into it and um so we went to the next stage you know the next level of classes and they were at a place in um in uh, it's called pudding mill lane in in east london oh i've never heard of that no so it's it's i don't think i had and it was kind of in the middle of nowhere Basically, it was in the middle of nowhere. And we'd drive over there. There were four of us. And we'd go, or we're going in my car this week or your car, you know, whatever. We'd drive over there. We also knitted. So quite a few of us knitting in the car on the way over. And <laughs> we'd all drive over. Trapeze artists that knitted. Knitting trapeze artists. And we'd all drive over and we'd drive back. And um, anyway, this this place was called The Hangar. And it um, it's the exact piece of land that the Olympic Stadium became built on. So, so this was so the hangar got taken down and there were two big beautiful willow trees um that are still in the middle of the olympic park um and they remained but everything everything else i think got got raised to the ground yeah but it was that that's where we trained was the hangar and we used to do shows you know we we'd put on shows and and oh it was yeah it was great fun so that's that's your sort of secret dream was to be a, um, a trapeze artist. Well, it, it, it didn't really happen like that. A friend went to a class and she said, mm. I've just been to Sue's tra- and been a sat on the trapeze. It was really brilliant. And I just went, actually, a lot of things in life have happened to me like that. I didn't intend to be a homeopath. I, I just it it just it just happened one day. Really oh, weird. yes. I, I interrupted you. And here we are. Yeah. Yeah, so becoming a homeopath, yeah, becoming a homeopath came through me, you know, my my experience of homeopathy came through having children and not wanting to give my son a medicine with a sedative in. And Mm. so I went to see the homeopath and and she asked me all these questions about him, how he was and who he was, as well as the fact that he had a cough and what his cough was like. And, um, And she gave me a remedy and it worked. And so we, we got into homeopathy as a family, but some point later i had i'd had this sort of interest in um you know in herbs and thought i was going to train to be a herbalist at some point that sort of came through from having children because of mm. practicing artist and um and uh then i just walked into the clinic 
one day and someone said, if, well, the guy that ran the clinic where, where I took kids for homeopathy, yeah. said it was a, it was a multidisciplinary practice. And he just said, um, Oh, my sister's starting a homeopathy course. Have you thought about homeopathy? And I thought, no, I haven't, but why not? I mean, it literally was like that. It wasn't, it wasn't just it? like that, just like that. And trapeze was the same. My friend was sitting on the trapeze. Um, and you know, she said, Oh, it's amazing. It's a bit like doing yoga in the air. And I went yoga in the air. Wow. I just went and did trapeze. <laughs> So oh we, God. we could get into talking about Chinese astrology. I'm a tiger and tigers tend to do switches like that. They're like, bam, okay, I'll do this. You know, so we can be unpredictable. So I have to watch that bit in me, I suppose. But um, I've <laughs> do also you still have that bit in you. Yeah, I've definitely got some grounded, a lot more groundedness. But yeah, so it's very interesting, Chinese astrology. Do you know what you are? Do you know? Uh, no, I don't know what I am, but I'm not really into it. Mm. I have to say, I've never been sort of drawn to it that much. Um, I really don't know why, but mm. um, it's a strange thing. You know, when sometimes you're drawn to something and you think, this is really something that sort of I can resonate with. And then at other times, and it's really, actually, funnily enough, I'm interested in so many different things, but that I'm sort of not interested at all. It, it's a strange thing. It is, isn't it? Because I, what I like about Chinese astrology mm. and and looking at the at the Chinese medicine system as well, is it's very elemental. So mm. I, it's not, you know, I'm not interested in these things because I I want to find out who my next partner is or how much, you know, am I going to come into riches or what? I, you know, it's more elemental. So so the element associated with the tiger is the wood element for instance mm -hmm. and the element associated with the horse is is fire um and so each each of the animals in the chinese zodiac has a, has a, has a certain element and and you and you understand so i my sorry a tiger is is um no i'm a water tiger so i have a lot of water element in my chinese sign and it's very interesting because i have have and I don't know if this is changing because I sense it might be but I have needed quite a lot of metal people in my life my daughter is a metal goat and both my big partners in life were metal elements now metal contains water so when I was a more uncontained person and I was a bit all over the place I remember sort of yeah yeah when I was a bit more all over the place mm. I needed the metal element to contain my my wateriness so that I had focus and I could get on with the task in hand so it was only through having children um that I became organized enough to do what I do now and I'm actually a very organized and meticulous and detailed person when it comes to my work but I it, does that make sense does any of that yes absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I'm interested yeah, yeah. in it from that perspective. And I, just a little story. I had a client come in once and she, she, um, she really couldn't remember. And this is, this is always an alarm bell for a therapist. She really couldn't remember anything from age uh, before the age of 10. Mm. And I was like, Ooh, okay. Anyway, I've been seeing her for quite some time and she never had any dreams. And, um, and, uh, one day she told me something about a dream and without going too much into her case, but she told me something about a dream and it was a dream of a donkey. And I looked at her and went, Oh my God, you're a fire horse. You've got all this heat in you and you've got all this fear about your power actually. 
And that and that was such a key. It was such a key oh. to understanding the case and supporting her in her journey because she was very frightened of her power. And she she was is is a is a very powerful person and she was kind of looking for her life's purpose, if you like, looking for what it is that she's here to do. And that's what I love about my work. That is the best bit about my work when you're just helping someone a bit, you know, finding towards finding what we're here to do and why we're here. Yeah. It's, it's an extraordinary privilege, mm. isn't it? It's, to be part amazing. of that journey. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. Mm. It's to be part of the awakening. It's awe inspiring. It's, mm. it is, it's, it's breathtaking. It's something that you, you know, you don't really, I don't talk about, I don't go to coffee and talk about what my work really entails. Yes. It's just this incredible transformational place, which is so vibrant to be part of. It's so incredible to be part of someone's journey in that way. It really, you know, it's like, wow. Yeah. You're coming into being who you were born to be, who you were meant to be, what you, you know, yeah. Amazing. Mm. Absolutely. In a way, it's like a spiritual midwife. Yes, I love it. Spiritual midwifery. That's so true. (laughs) (laughs) So true. So true. You know, because it's like easing that person, Mm. this spiritual Mm. being that we all are, into this rebirth of who they really are as opposed to who they were told to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I loved it when you said, you know, you, you were saying about, running away and joining joining the circus you know and you're mm. like but who can I be who what can yes. I do at the circus you know that we are so primed to you know what you're going to be when you grow up it's like mm. well, <laughs> isn't it enough <laughs> to just be <laughs> I mean I thought I had all these choices you know um but the one that seemed the most sort of elegant I think yeah. was to be the trapeze artist mm-hmm. and um I thought it's going to be a little bit complicated, but it doesn't matter because that's quite lovely. You know, and they're always so serene and so calm and they always sort of know <laughs> what they're doing and they must know because they'd fall if they didn't. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's, that's flying trapeze. What, what I did is um, they call it static trapeze. It's not static trapeze at all, but you work on the, on the, on the swing. Um, ah. I also did silks, you know, when you have all that fabric stuff. Where you sort of tumble down the fabric. That you wish around, that you swish around. Yeah, you're kind of up up into strips of fabric and you kind of learn, you tie yourself in knots and tumble out of the knots in an elegant oh, Yes, 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 stuff. I've seen it. <laughs> Did you do that? Yeah. Oh my goodness. I know, it's really cool actually. I love doing it. It was, it was great. As I said, I'd have run away and joined circus, but I think I was probably you know nearing 46 rather than 26. <laughs> I can't remember what age I was, but I was... I was sick. Yeah, I must have been in my early 40s when mm. I got into it. And do you still do the um, trapeze artist? I don't. And I haven't done for a while. I've been oh. within living memory gone to I mean, I, if I get, I find a swing in the park, I'll sort of hop up and do a little, um, you know, a little, a little number. Yeah, a little number. <laughs> <laughs> well, that doesn't count. Such, such big upper body strengths because you've got to lift lift up the whole yeah. of your body you know from gripping mm. the ropes and 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 then flip your body over your head say and that is that requires such incredible um upper body coordination and strength actually 
you know, we'd get people coming to classes and they, they, they were fit people, you know, they had a trainer and they, you know, whatever. Um, and they would come in and they'd go, Oh, okay. This is a bit different. Isn't it? <laughs> it's an art form. Do you, did you ever go, I've never been, but I watched it Cirque du Soleil. Yes. Yeah. That is, that yeah. is like magical, isn't it? It is. It is. Mm. I, um, Oh, I'm gonna. I'm struggling to remember her name. Um, oh, yes, I can't try to remember her surname. But I saw this woman um, mm-hmm. do a performance years and years and years ago. It's a band called Test Department. Were friends of ours, and they did a performance in what what is now the um, Accessorize Building, that's in the middle of the Westway. But mm-hmm. back in its day, that was an engine turning shed for uh, Paddington Station. Oh, really? And yeah, and um, and uh, they that space was empty, and they filled this space with this kind of clanging, um, uh, you know, music. That there were kind of big drums and clanging music. But as we entered the space before they started performing, there was this woman performing on a single rope. To, the, to a really beautiful piece of music, which was, um, I think it was Bulgarian chanting. It was very in mm. in the 80s. And um, yeah, it, it, was, it was absolutely stunning. Um, I wish I could remember the name of, of, the, uh, of the teacher. It might come to me, but yeah, it was, it, because she became my teacher years later. I went oh, did and, she? I, and I actually met her and I was like, oh, my, you know, and I was kind of, it just, I was so inspired by this woman on the rope, you know, um, doing this incredible, just backlit performance. And, um, but I never thought I'd do it myself. I just, just didn't. I suppose when my friend said, yo, it's like yoga in the air, I went, oh, you know, and that was the, the moment. <laughs> that was the moment that you took <laughs> and never looked back, so to yeah. speak. But yeah. they are, they're fascinating. And I think I've always been fascinated with circus people in that way mm. because they're all, they're like dervishes. Mm-hmm. They travel the world and, mm-hmm. you know, they have this sort of nomadic lifestyle mm-hmm. that is really beyond time and space because it's yes. just so present moment. You know, we've done yes. the show, we're moving on. We've done the show, we're moving on. And I think that's what's appealing oh, about it all. It is. I just keep thinking as we're talking about circuses, about um, Angela Carter's Night, Nights at the Circus. Have you read that? No, I haven't. Oh, it's just such a such a beautiful that um that's kind of inc- incredible fairy tale imagination you know mm-hmm. that, that that magical realisms you know just it's such a it's such a lovely thread they travel through russian countryside in the snow i think as a circus oh. yeah and I what's it her name she's called just because it's nice to play so she's called genevieve monates and she's a trapeze teacher, and I'm sure she still teaches. She doesn't live far from me, actually. I just haven't bumped into her for ages. But Genevieve, she, I mean, that evokes all sorts oh, of Genevieve. stories. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, when, when and it's names. so powerful, isn't it? A yeah. name is so powerful because it yeah. gives us an identity in a way. Yeah, absolutely amazing wow fascinating i did say i did say to the listeners you know you're a fascinating lady and you would have so many stories to tell and as i said i i could talk to you for days and days and days and Aww. you know i'm thank you so much for coming on really caroline it's been so an absolute pleasure 
Thank you so much for inviting me. It's 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 love. It's lovely to just talk. Actually, I think one of the things that we just don't do enough is talk. Is it yes. you know, just go all over the place with the conversation? Yes, yes. And it's an adventure, you know, because it's yeah. like you can talk about all sorts of subjects because mm-hmm. we are such sort of multifaceted beings there's mm-hmm. so much to us and all you know storytelling is you know I've spoken about this before but storytelling and hearing people's lives and their adventures is is so therapeutic it is isn't it and yeah. it opens doors for us and it reassures you know and something I said when I was listening to you, the intros that you do to the to the podcast is is there something very enabling about the way you do that and I think the podcast medium is very enabling for people that are oh well, I could do that yes why not you know why not indeed beautiful. why not indeed and it's such a good idea. Podcasting is something, you know, as I said to you, that I started during the lockdown. But it's a medium that is so easily accessible. You know, for example, your story about the birds, you know, mm. listening to people's stories that come in and had an experience with birds. I mean, I could name you, I don't know, 50 stories of um, bird stories that I've been through because it means something to me. And, mm-hmm. but as I said, people don't want to listen usually, but in these times I'm finding that people are much more willing to listen to other people and they need it. Yeah. And it's, you know, storytelling is something that, you know, we did when we didn't have TV. So we, mm. that, that need in us to, to, you know, immerse in the story, to be part of that conversation, to be humoured, you know, sad and all the, all the places that it takes us. Yeah. It, it, and I think that's why podcasting has taken off so much is, is because it's a very ancient art to us. It existed before we, we put pen to paper. It existed yes. before we had TV. You know, when mm-hmm. I talked about climbing in Scotland and um, one, of the, one of the guys, one of our hike leaders um, he was called Clive and he was a funny guy. I mean, he would stride out in this ancient old Mac um, with a, with a staff, like a shepherd's crook. It maybe even been a shepherd's crook and mm. decent pair. He always needed a decent pair of boots, but that was it. You know, he, he, he probably had pockets with sort of safety things in, I don't know, but he would sit in the pub and tell the most hilarious stories. And he wasn't Scottish. He would come up with us and the, and the Scots would wait for him to arrive and listen to this. He'd have, I'd never forget as a young person, you know, being part of this sea of like 30 or 40 people in the pub, listening Mm. to Clive's stories and just everybody like crying with laughter, you know, and it was just like, this is what we did when we didn't have TV. (laughs) Well, look, you even remember him after all this time. Oh, beautiful. Really was. Absolutely. it yeah. is beautiful, you know, because we're sharing. And in a way, when you were telling me about your stories, you took me there mm. because that's it. You enabled me. It was like a passage through time, mm. through this elusive thing called time yes. where there was no time. And you actually <laughs> took me to Scotland, to Spain, to the Trapeze Artist School. I actually <laughs> was in that moment with you. So yeah, it's it a lot to be said. Thank yeah, you it's so a lot much of, for sharing that. Yeah, we'll probably lie down and go to sleep afterwards. <laughs> yeah, we'll have a kiss now. <laughs> Get some cocoa. <laughs> exactly. 
Oh, dear, dear. Now, Caroline. Oh, so enjoyable. Thank you so much. Thank you. I had so much fun. And <laughs> really, too. you ignited that sense of adventure again. And that is something beautiful. You know, when you ignite that sense of wonder and mm. life in somebody, that's a gift. And it's a beautiful, beautiful gift that you have. Beautiful. <laughs> now, I want to, now coming back down to earth, um if people so are you doing one-to-one clients as well i do yeah i do one-to-ones um well ainsworth currently isn't isn't open for consultations it's still open mm. for remedies um but i'm at try yoga and um right. and i'm online you know we've done so much online yeah absolutely i also do some group work you know so mm-hmm. if people go to my website and sign up for the newsletter then then i do you know i do workshops um the retreats we will be back in spain a couple of times a year and then the book is coming out early next year and i'm right in the middle of of the pre-order bit so um again my website's a spot for that um so there's you know that's on the what's your website address and where can people it's, get hold of you caroline yeah. so it's www.carolinegaskin so that's c-a-r-o-l-i-n-e-g-a-s-k-i-n .co.uk and then um the you know the pre-orders are it's kind of there's lots of fantastic bonuses to go with those so so if you pre-order a certain number of books you can you come on a bird walk with me um or you can attend my bird is word webinar which is which is new obviously to go with it so you know the all the all those yeah have a look at those fabby options <laughs> i think it sounds great and i do think yeah. you should write a children's book I love the idea of that. And I was thinking that yesterday when I was, of all things, mm. making the bed. And I thought, oh, I wonder if a children's book's going to come out of this. You know, I used to love, absolutely love doing stories with the kids, like crazy yeah. make-believe stories with the kids. I think it would work. And especially the fact that you know so much about birds and that each mm. bird, you know, we were talking mm. about the, the book, The Conference of the Birds oh, by Atar. Yeah. Um, mm and the wisdom of the birds but I mean you know it would also teach children to be more aware of their surroundings Mm -hmm. and also with regards to the birds and look out for them and then learn about them I think it would be amazing if you did that yeah when I did my bird watching walk earlier this year um Mm. with with this it's it's a mental health um uh, group um, and they're called Do Lally um, and they're bringing out an app for mental health and um, I did a bird watching walk for them and we were all really surprised because when I've done them before it's it's more friends you know so I'll know the people that yeah but it, it, there were there were people there from age six to sixty and the kids I just I loved it I it just seeing them. And, mm-hmm. and I did have an idea, this lockdown, but it's, you've got to jump through all sorts of hoops of child protection, you know, uh, getting your CRB check and mm-hmm. this kind of thing. But I just thought, I thought about all the mums in my practice and how they, you know, they've, they've been looking after their kids. They've been homeschooling. I mean, the amount of pressure for women through this is, is mm-hmm. off the scale. Mm. Um, and I, you know, spoken to some women who've, who've been run ragged by this, you know, especially if their kids don't really want to be, you know, they like being at school and they want to be with their friends, you know, and they're younger and they're, why is this happening, mum? All that. But, um, and I thought about the mums going from, from, um, 
all that into the school holidays and some of the open spaces and the interactive stuff not being available. And I thought, wow, I should be out on the heath doing bird watching walks for kids, just taking them off mum's hands for, you know, the afternoon and just exploring in the woods and then building a den and having a, you know, bite to eat sort of thing or whatever. Mm. Um, but, but, you know, there's so many hoops to jump through to make that possible these days. And rightly what about so mums and kids? What about mums and kids or dads mums and, and kids? kids? Yeah, no, the, the walks, but I just thought, I mean, the initial thought was, oh, mm. mums need a bit of time to themselves. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> that was the bit, yeah, you know, anyway, that, I thought I did explore it and realised it was, it was, it was, a, it, the, I was writing a book. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, being a Gemini, I have a, a mental gymnastics kind of mind. Anyway, so I did explore. Being a trapeze artist. Being a trapeze et artist. Et exactly. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, but the, the kids on the bird watching walk reminded me, you know, of, of myself, you know, and, and just loving the book, the reassurance of the little books as a kid, you know, and looking at birds in the books. And um, yeah. Oh, it was, yeah, it was great. So, yeah, kids and birds. Yeah. Yes, that's your next little project, I think. Yeah. <laughs> now, before we go, I always ask my guests this, as you know, um, words of wisdom and something that has helped you in life, you know, a paragraph, Caroline, that has helped you in life to keep hold of hope in whatever life you know, circumstances or whatever happens in life, what advice would you give the listeners? I think the biggest thing that I come back to when, you know, things are rough is I come, I invariably come back to three words and it's trust the process that however dark it gets, that there is an incredible learning in the process and the process is bringing you something that is going to enrich your life. And, you know, we, we used to say it's an ill wind that blows no good, you know, so, so that means that if something bad's happening, some good is going to come out of it. So, so I come back to trusting the process and know that it, everything is happening for a higher reason. Mm, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Very good advice. You know, going with the flow of life as well. Yeah. Thank you so much, Caroline. Thank you. And please come again anytime. I'd love to. Yeah. Come again and share yeah. your stories. And hopefully, you know, you'll have your book soon and that. And um, come and tell us all about your magical stories. I totally love to. Yeah. Thank you. Oh. Thank you very much. So look after yourself. You too. Yeah. And keep shining brightly as you do. <laughs> and you. <laughs> All right, then. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Right. Bye. Bye. Caroline Gaskin. Incredible. What a wonderful thing, really, it is to share stories and wisdom with people from all walks of life. And really, the stories are so healing when we share with each other. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next time, look after yourselves and lots of love.
Hi, you're listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life with me, your host, Mimi Novik. I'm so happy and thrilled to have you here with me. I have created this series for all of us so we can change our world together and live a more holistic and balanced life. Together, we will share lots of inspiring stories from all walks of life, speak with leading experts, enjoy healthy living ideas, explore music and subjects that inspire each other to always have hope. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all of you.